You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My audio is good. You can hear me good? Yeah. All right, everybody. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever the hell, whenever the hell you're listening to this. Uh, we're going to do a live edition today of In Liberty and Health. Make sure you check out Axe and Sledge Supplements, Back Air, LMNT. I wish I had my box here with me because my guest today shares the uh, same passion for the electrolytes as I do. Um, so today I have returning with me for the third time, and I'm super, super excited to talk to him today. The guy who dared to tell keto people that they shouldn't just guzzle ribeyes, butter in their coffee, and uh, eat the fattiest brisket they can get a hold of, that he even dared to tell these people that you could have cream of rice today i have the legendary rob goodwin with me how you doing brother i'm doing well you could uh skip the legendary part nobody's buying that horse shit okay <laughs> i know you're trying to you know really create some you know epic television here but uh let's not lose our heads okay <laughs> well you are with me so you know that kind of does bring the quality of the room down dude <laughs> you're exactly right yeah, well, you let's know see what to say. Let's see if we can get this one kicked off of YouTube as well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Unfortunately, I found out that that isn't quite a uh, a very difficult task to do. I've had quite a few of them. Let's see. We got Desire for Iron. Our uh, our brother in health here, uh, Chris Crowley, if I remember correctly. What's good, champions? What up, Chris? It's good to see him here. I'm glad that we got at least uh, one person here with us. You called nine, so we'll see if we get up there. Well, I knew Chris would be here, and I told my mother that she should probably tune in. So we'll see if she actually gets on board or not. So we might just be down to one listener today. I know we got two. Awesome. What's up, Natalie? <laughs> nice. Uh, so anyways, you've kind of gone a under a transformation recently. Um, I've been listening to your podcast, and hopefully all my listeners have as well, because I know I've been relentlessly plugging your stuff on Twitter and everywhere else. Um, kind of lay that out and what's been going on for you lately, man. Yeah, um, it's funny because when I finally made the decision to retire from competitive bodybuilding, and I've always tried to qualify that remark with the fact that everybody watching this, if you have any desire to change your body and you're taking steps to do so by doing some resistance training, doing some cardiovascular work, you know, the, the things that you put in your mouth, you know, the, the goal is to, you know, achieve a certain level of health and aesthetic, then you're a bodybuilder. And a lot of people were afraid to jump on board with what I was doing on the outset because they thought it was just for these, you know, 
freak show bodybuilders like you see on the cover of Flex magazine and all this stuff, these Mr. Olympia types, and it's just not the case. But I also knew that in this world of competitive bodybuilding, it wasn't, I mean, let's be, let's be honest, uh, in that world, it's not all just about health, right? Bodybuilding is not about health. It's about like any other sport or something where you endeavor to, you know, be on top of a podium and impressing a panel of judges that you have won the day then you need to do whatever it takes to achieve that form. And in bodybuilding, it's achieving a certain aesthetic that's not always healthy. I can tell you that the last six, eight weeks of a contest prep for me had very little to do with health. Um, you know, you're depleted, you're getting your hormones or getting the shit kicked out of them. I mean, it's not a pretty sight, but that is all in order to achieve a certain aesthetic to impress a panel of judges while you're standing in front of a thousand people in your underwear. So. Once I moved away from that, then the criteria changed a little bit. And I always knew in the back of my mind that, you know, once I did finally retire, I, was, I wasn't going to let my foot off the gas. I was just going to take a different road. And that road right. for me now is also maintaining as, as much of a level of aesthetic that I'm pleased with. I mean, I'm not you know, going to ever turn into some fat slob. But as long as I'm able to maintain roughly 10% body fat year round and also be able to perform at a high level, and feel great and when i get my blood work done the numbers are great and you know i sleep like a baby i wake refreshed and i have a real focus on longevity because even though i can't believe this you know i'll be 54 in november and you know before you know it i'll be turning 60 and you know uh i never want to feel my age and i still don't i still I, I probably feel like i'm 30 now maybe maybe younger in the terms of the way my body reacts i don't look at above the neck but uh, from the neck down, my goal is to be able to perform at a high level. So it's not just the aesthetic anymore. It's also about performance, longevity and health. So what I'm doing now, I truly believe in my heart of heart is what's going to uh, take me down that road and achieve that goal. And it's it's a day to day goal. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I kind of had a little bit of a setback and I haven't talked about it too much, but I used to be hitting the 405 for anywhere from five to ten reps. Um, you know, twice a week and then eventually got to the point. I'm like, holy shit, like it hurts to get out of the freaking car. And I'm, I'll be 28 in November. Right? right. So clearly I had to shift my focus as well. Um, so now I've actually moved my training down to four days a week. And uh, I, I've kind of taken some different considerations moving forward into the future. But um, so I guess we should move on to kind of what does your training look like? Because before the last time you were on, I remember you talking about kind of the blood and guts all out to failure kind of training. Yeah. Um, it seems like you've kind of winded back a little bit and also kind of do perhaps a little bit more aerobic work. If you um, let's go ahead and kind of lay that out for everybody. You, you would definitely be wrong, um, as you most often are. Um, <laughs> No, it's funny. It's, it's a perfect question. And it, when I look back at some of the stuff that I'm putting on my podcast recently, my YouTube videos, the things I'm throwing out there, you might think that. But then, you know, when I sit down in the evening, you know, I'm contemplating my day, what I'm doing, what the next day is going to bring and what I can do to, you know, be the best I can be. But also hopefully that resonates with people who have put their faith in me as a coach or who follow me or whatever. So, Honestly, you know, if I had to break down some of the core tenets of what I truly believe in my heart and soul is the best approach to achieve what I'm trying to do right now, I would definitely say, and this, this may surprise you, that a high intensity training approach might be even more suitable for me now than it was when I was competing. Because then it was all about an aesthetic. 
Now it's all about the preservation of lean muscle tissue uh, mm -hmm. because we all know as we age, you let's face it, when you, by the time you hit 40, it's going to be going the other direction. Right. So the goal at that point is to stave that off the very, very best way you can. And the best way to do that, whether you're competing or just trying to be the best version of yourself you can be, is to lift heavy weight, you know, get ample amounts of protein and make sure your recovery is on point. And I've sort of, you know, even though I'm throwing in some high intensity interval work once a week, I don't think you need more. My other workouts have kind of really pushed back to that Arthur Jones, Mike Menser, Dorian Yates <laughs> style, where I believe if you're spending 30, 40 minutes in the gym and you're taking strategic sets to failure with good form and high intensity, and you're not in that gym for hour, hour and a half, I think it's a safer workout than if you were putting yourself through the grinder for an hour in a high volume approach. I'd rather do a couple high intensity pre-exhaust supersets, take two sets to total failure of eight to 12 reps, and then get on with my day. And then because I want to you know, work the metabolic machinery as well, one day a week, I may throw in a high intensity interval workout, which may be combined with uh, whatever cardiovascular I'm doing, which in the last four or five months has been rucking almost exclusively. So maybe on a Friday or a Saturday, I'll put 60 pounds on my back in the rucksack and I'll go off on a three mile ruck, but along the course, you know, maybe every quarter mile, I'll pull that thing off and use it as a resistance tool. And I might do, you know, 20 lunges, 15 heavy squats. I might do 25 ruck push-ups. I might do some ruck swings like a kettlebell swing, jack the heart rate, work that metabolic machinery, throw the thing back on and then go another quarter mile and repeat that. So that's kind of what my cardio Metcon thing has been looking like these days. And I can tell you that the results have been tremendous. Um, no longer am I putting this massive emphasis on being the biggest, baddest, pumped, striated, walking vein that yeah. you can imagine. And it's been kind of refreshing. I would never trade that those years that I did that for anything. But now it's, you know, I'm enjoying this new path of, pushing for optimal health, longevity, and still being a freak, you know, no matter what I do. So that's the way my training is looking these days. So I, as well, am down to a four-day split. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's oftentimes a push-pull legs or still breaking up body parts, but it's sort of the Dorian Yates method that was adopted from Mike Menser, which was in turn mm -hmm. adopted from Arthur Jones, where I might do a set of 70, 80% of my one rep max, and then it's get my head straight, make sure the right music's on, tune out the whole fucking world, and then give two sets to all-out brutal failure with good form. And I'm fortunate that I have a couple workout partners that are fantastic. So they make sure that nothing's falling on my head and killing me and I'm not getting trapped under barbells. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the way I've been training lately. And I've coupled that with uh, quite a modification in my nutrition as well. And everything's working out really, really well. Oh, hell yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is that um, some people kind of poo-poo the one set to failure approach. And I know that's not what you necessarily you're advocating for 100%. But when you have this mentality of, okay, I'm going to do a couple warm-up sets, some pre-exhaust, and then this last set, it's fucking balls to the walls. I completely agree that you're going to have that mindset of this is everything I got. I'm leaving nothing left on the table. So I'm going to fucking hammer it as hard as I can to make sure I get the biggest bang for my buck. And when you look at like a more voluminous approach where you're doing five sets of 15 or, you know, three sets of 20 or something like that, you can almost have more room for slack, right? Because it's like, ah, well, I'm going to decrease the weight so much where I can kind of pussyfoot around 
versus right. where once again if you're going to do a drop set and you're really going to hit it then it's like this is it and then until the next workout well yeah if somebody says i gave it everything i had in an hour workout mm -hmm. my immediate reply is no you didn't <laughs> right. you, couldn't, you couldn't give it everything you have and keep sustaining those efforts over and over again for the course of an hour, hour and 15 minute workout. It's just not going to happen. And if you look at strength training and hypertrophy through a logical, rational lens, mm -hmm. you know, it only stands to reason that if you push your muscles to the ultimate brink of what they can handle and then slightly beyond that as a defense mechanism, they're going to grow and respond as a defense mechanism to be prepared for whatever insanity you throw at it the next time. So it's, it's still, to me, the most logical, rational approach to training, and it's always worked the best for me. And for my clients that actually want to walk down that road, um, it's worked fantastic for them, too. But the, the, the caveat to that is, and a lot of people just don't understand this, even seasoned weightlifters don't understand this, most people have no real comprehension of what true failure is. Mm -hmm. They really don't, because you've got to go full-on freaking Dorian Yates, David Goggins, and who the hell ever else to where you get to that point where if somebody, and Mike Menser, the great Mike Menser, who I had the absolute honor and privilege of doing three consultations with back in the 90s, because that's what he used to do. He would have this little ad in the back of Muscle and Fitness where you could call Mike Menser, pay the man the money, and he would give you three consultations. And um, it was fantastic because he said, you know, in his very intellectual tone, now if I put a fucking shotgun in your mouth. And if you don't get no one more rep, I'm going to blow the back of your skull up against that rack over there. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Or if I had that same shotgun in your child's mouth and I was going to spray their brains all over the gym floor, could you get one more? Yes, sir. I mean, that sounds harsh and almost insane, yeah. but he had to paint a picture. And then the one time I got to actually train with him, the other two were on the telephone, you know, and you're standing there with a legend bodybuilder and he's telling you to kill yourself. You will kill yourself. You will <laughs> you will take yourself to the point where I'm either going to finish this rep and impress this man or I will die under this weight. And then, you know, those are the experiences that made me truly understand what failure was because I didn't know up to that point. And then the other example is when I got to train with John Perillo, who's also a legend bodybuilding coach. And when you arrive to his camp that you paid six hundred dollars for. The first thing he had you do was a 100 rep belt squat. And uh, he would, you know, look at you and gauge what kind of weight you should do. And not because I was, you know, a big 235 pound 20 something. When I did that, mm -hmm. he strapped four 100 pound plates between my legs on this harness belt thing and told me to go. And then as you would completely fail and he would be the one that would judge if you truly failed or not, he would <laughs> strip a plate. I, I kind of vaguely remember being at rep roughly 70 and I still had a hundred pounds on me and I blacked out a few times. I woke up somewhere around rep 90 with two giant bodybuilders under each arm, force repping me through the last 10 to which they stripped the last hundred pound plate off. I fell off the platform into a heap into the fetal position and laid there shaking for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. That was again, failure. And I understood <laughs> what that meant, but I had to see it in real time. I had to be pushed to that point, And I truly had to understand what that meant. Now I'm not saying to you nine people listening right now, that that's the level you need to take yourself mm -hmm. to, but at least get to that point of true concentric failure and experiment with that to where there's nothing you can do to complete that last rep. And I mean, nothing. 
And then I flirt a lot with high intensity techniques like cluster sets, rest pause sets, pre-exhaust supersets. The pre-exhaust superset, that was a Mike Menser thing. You know, you, you pre-exhaust the muscle in an isolation movement and then without any rest whatsoever, you move towards the equivalent compound movement. And uh, he was a big believer in that. Nothing ripped me apart more than those you know, pre-exhaust sets. And I still do that to this day. And, uh, you know, I, I see a real benefit from doing that. And I don't see a benefit in a 54-year-old guy or a 44-year-old guy or even a 33-year-old guy spending an hour and a half cherry picking through a gym doing 100 sets just to get a pump, which mm -hmm. if we know anything about exercise science, doesn't do shit. Okay. The pump means nothing. It's about you know, really tearing down that tissue to achieve the desired result through, you know, the, the healing and defense mechanism and the growth of that muscle under duress. So yeah. I, I'm a true believer. I always have been. And when I sat down and sort of reevaluated where I was taking my fitness and nutrition life from here on out in my fourth quarter of my life, it really made the most sense to me to continue down that path, but then sprinkle other elements in with that and form a synergy of programming that would, you know, benefit every aspect of my life onward into the future. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, the one thing I always liked about training to failure, and I probably about six months ago started incorporating it again, was uh, the fact that it's always objective, right? Because it's to the point that you will no longer be able to move that weight. For right? sure. You're done. You're tapped. It takes a special person. I really believe that. It takes the, many years ago. I got involved in doing some cycling. I really loved it because it sucked. It was hard. It was brutal. It hurt. And there were the people that could push themselves beyond that lactate threshold of the quad burns and the lungs are on fire. Your heart rate's up literally 190, and you feel like you're about to fucking die and explode. And then to be able to keep pushing towards that on some super inhuman climb up some fucking mountain. You know, it, it, it took different individuals. Then I've seen it take different individuals in the gym, you know, endurance sports, strength sports, whatever. There's two types of people. It's the type of person that's willing to push beyond boundaries to a level that most people would never understand. And then there are the people that are just looking to accomplish the minimum because they're not willing to go through that level of discomfort. And anything in life that's worth doing is going to involve a level of discomfort in order to get the reward. And I think that's just, you know, wound in our DNA. Yeah. So I was actually on a uh, podcast last night with my uh, buddy, Tommy, who's an absolutely great dude. But we were kind of talking about this where fitness really is kind of one of the ultimate delays and gratification because you're okay. never going to see your muscle growing in real time. Right. You could see over years and years and years, especially as you get closer to your genetic potential. Sure. Um, you no longer are going to have the same newbie gain. So you just really have to trust the process. And it's hard for me sometimes. And I think everybody really, you're going to see that ad for testosterone or test boosters and say, this is good. The one thing you're missing from training. And oftentimes, you know, you take it, you spend hundreds of dollars. And then it's like, Oh, I didn't get anything about that. Well, it's because once again, the work that you're avoiding by taking the supplement, um, it is essentially going to be the work that you need to do and you're going to need that patience as well to delay the gratification to get the physique and the desired outcome that you want. Yeah. That one more thing you need is not your testosterone. It's not some supplement. <laughs> it's one more fucking rep that you didn't do because it hurt. It's two more hours of sleep that you didn't get because right. partying or drinking or doing whatever. 
And it's making sure that you put the right foods in your mouth that are going to create the most anabolic environment that you can in order to achieve the results. And I personally believe that that is a hyper carnivore kind of diet. And you may be surprised to hear that from me because uh, oddly, I kind of, you know, got all the controversy thrown on me because I said, oh, yeah, you can be in ketosis. You can do a ketogenic diet. You can be animal based, but you can also have your carbs at the right place at the right time as a performance tool and as an as an aesthetic uh, complement, a complementary aesthetic uh, tool in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. And now that those days are gone for me, those carbohydrate influxes are fewer and far between. Now I go strictly by feel. And I believe that as an older athlete, uh, that a carnivore style diet or what I refer to by definition, a hyper carnivore diet is kind of where I'm at now. And, and let me explain why because it won't make any sense. But once I decided to retire full time and I finally said nail in the coffin, I'm done. And now it's a new path. It's a new way. I just kind of let myself go intuitively, meaning how do I want to eat? What do I want to eat? What seems right? What just what is my brain wired to tell my body from literally going down this primal ancestral path for so many years now? Now that I've put my posing trunks up on the shelf and I've decided to do this for other reasons, how do I want to subsist as a human being? And how do I feel I'm going to thrive the most from that? And I just immediately gravitated towards lots of red meat, lots of eggs. I've got my own chickens. And it just seemed to make so much sense to me, still using carbohydrates on occasion, but only for feel. I responded to somebody in our Facebook group uh, a day or two ago, we were talking about these refeeds. And I said, uh, yes, these can work and these may be beneficial according to the individual. And I do these on occasion. However, I've probably only done this three times in the last month. And I was on those days where I felt like my body's telling me it might need something here. So I would add in a little bit of carbohydrate as a pre-workout tool. Still to this day, I tell people around training, simple, simple. And, uh, but these days, as I've sort of made that conversion back into a little bit more strict animal-based diet, I'm listening to my body and my body is responding very, very positively with what I'm putting in it. And that if, if you look at that on paper, it's more of a hyper carnivore diet. And I, and I keep saying hyper carnivore because that's the definition of an animal or mammal that takes in a minimum of their food intake from animal-based sources, 70%. Mm -hmm. I'm probably over 70%. So, but I do a little, leave a little room in there to, you know, have a little bit of organic fruit from my freaking raspberry bushes or have a little cream of rice 30 minutes before a brutal leg day. And that's fine because I know that those carbs are gonna be gone. There's not gonna be any detrimental effect to my inflammatory response, how I feel, mm -hmm. cognitive issues and things like that. But now that I'm not competing anymore and it's not, I have to look fucking amazing in the mirror every minute of the day or I'm going to lose my mind. You know, now that I'm not that person anymore, intuitively I'm just gravitating because I think I've rewired myself over the last 15 years to crave that and to thrive off that. And I see it happening with so many other people that that's just the path I'm down now. And even so far to the point where I've launched a new, you know, nutrition program, literally this morning, mm -hmm. uh, it's the final evolution of this tier one teams thing I've been doing. And the final evolution of that is the nutrition element, which make no mistake is a hyper carnivore approach.
Right. Yeah. And I like how you focus the carbohydrates around workouts because so many keto people tend to think that if you have, you know, a blueberry, then you're going to die. But keto um, people, <laughs> keto people, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Ted Naiman about it. He's like, aren't you almost embarrassed to have that, you know, that name associated with you? Know? I'm like, well, kind of, but, the, but, you know, we, we've been brushing on this. It's what the outside influences have done. You remember, do you remember back in the day when paleo was the big thing? And then, you know, big corporations got on board. They figured out there was money to be made. And then everything was freaking paleo. We're you make a paleo donut. We can put it in a package. And <laughs> then keto happened. And I was doing keto when nobody freaking heard of it or cared or gave a shit. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you know, that was in 2015 is when the keto wave just went tidal wave. It went yeah. fucking bonkers. And I was quietly doing it amongst myself and a few friends. And I literally remember almost overnight waking up and having dozens of emails in an inbox saying, help me with this, oh, keto master. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just back here eating steak and eggs and everybody's losing their minds all of a sudden. And then you find out very quickly that they, they're reaching out for help because of all the zealotry and the dogma out there. Of what is keto? And everybody to this day still thinks it's about chugging fat and chugging fat. And that's just not the case. It's still about finding the right you know, combination of macronutrients that suit your body the best. I respond very well to a higher protein approach. So I'm sticking to roughly 40 percent of my intake is protein roughly. And uh, fat, because of the nine calories per gram, is somewhere in the 50 to 60 percentile range, sometimes a little higher. And then carbohydrates may go from, you know, 2 percent of my intake for the day to 5 or 6 percent of my intake for the day. Still extremely low carb. That's something I have to keep saying. Oh, yeah, you're the guy that advocates, you know, eating a bucket of rice before you work out. Right. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I may have 20 grams of something super clean. 20 minutes before I train and then I'm back on freaking ground beef and pastured eggs so that I'm not that guy, but I'm also going to be the one to tell you that there are different paths to take to getting the results that you're looking for. And you don't have to be this one size fits all horseshit that's driving everybody insane. No wonder nobody sticks to it. You know, they, right. they have a method that works for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I guess kind of teetering on there. Um, if somebody came up to you and said, all right, it's 2022. I see Catalina crunch, um, all these keto cookies sitting on the shelf, Rob, what the hell do I do? Should I eat, you know, a bunch of fat snacks and ribeyes to lose weight and to optimize performance and then have, you know, a whole bucket of rice or a whole bunch of bread before I work out. What would you tell um, that person who came up to you and asked that? Well, I would probably have a lot of fun with that person by completely lying to them for 10 minutes just to see what their response is. But uh, <laughs> no, it, it's something that I said back in 2015 when I sort of wrote out these like handful of commandments that I used for all my consulting clients that wanted to do a ketogenic diet properly or, or a carnivore diet properly. And I said, if the very first thing you do is to start looking for keto versions of the shit that got you into this mess in the first place, you're going to fail, period. And that's what I would say. I would say, why are you looking for you know ketogenic or carnivore versions of the shit that got you into this mess in the first place? I don't eat carnivore snacks. I'm not eating anything out of a box or a bag. I'm literally just eating meat, eggs, fish, poultry. I do use some animal-based dairy. I'll do some raw milk when I can find it. I'll do some full fat Greek yogurt. And I might, 
don't lose your mind. I might put some blueberries in it. I might put some raspberries or strawberries in it, you know, and, and I'll do butter and I'll do beef tallow to cook in because I think it tastes awesome. Uh, but I also have an emphasis on my protein intake and, you know, I'm not as zealot about it. And there's times I'll have vegetables because there's two or three vegetables that I really like. I'm not a vegetable guy, but there are two or three that I really like. And my wife knows the ones I really like. So it may be dinner and there may be the big hunk of meat sitting there, but she may say, hey, I made some sauteed cabbage and butter and garlic. Like, cool, I'll have some. I'm not going to be one of these zealots. It's like, no, that's not carnivore. Meat and salt only, please. You know, that that's <laughs> insane. I think that's insane. Uh, you know, this is a crazy world we live in. If you can just stay away from being inundated by the massive amount of shit that's at every checkout of every store you walk into. I mean, that is just, it's, you're never going to not be tempted and it's going to be super hard. And if I'm working with a client and they tell me, oh, fuck, I had peas last night. I'm going to be like, okay. And, you know, I'm not going to yell at you for eating some fucking organic peas, but I'm going to yell at you. I would yell at you more if you ate the keto cookie or the, the carnivore snacks or, yeah. or whatever shit, you know, ultra processed bullshit out there that you're consuming. Carnivore is about an animal based diet. It's not a culinary tour. I think it's tasty and satisfying and I enjoy it and it works great for me. For me, if it doesn't work great for you, I'm not going to browbeat you about it and tell you that you're doing it wrong. I'm going to say, hey, man, if, if what you're doing works for you, cool. Keep doing it. I applaud that. You know, run with that shit. This is what I do. And if you're out there and you see what I do and you are intrigued by that and there's something kind of tugging at you that says that appeals to me or the idea appeals to me, then let's join together and let's play with that for a while. And if you decide that's not your gig, we'll dump it and we'll go our separate ways and we'll still be friends. But uh, that, that's just the way I look at this shit. Everybody out there has got something to sell. I've got something to sell. I sell coaching. That's what I do. But if I don't deliver results, you're not going to stick around very long. So I, I do have an ulterior motive to make you successful or I'm screwed. Mm -hmm. What irritates me out there, and I want to get off on a real quick rant. I, I don't mean any disrespect, but I need to, to use this to make sort of an analogy, to, to, to give an example. I think everybody's familiar with Paul Saladino, the carnivore MD, whatever. I like that guy. Um, I think now, though, like one thing about him, you know, he's business partners with the Liver King. We all know that guy. Uh, and Paul Saladino and the Liver King are brilliant businessmen, first and foremost. That's what these guys excel at. And now Paul Saladino says, nope, no more keto for me. No more carnivore diet for me. Now it's animal based and you should all eat fruit and you should also all chug honey like there's no tomorrow. And he went from taking in 100 grams of carbs to 200 grams of carbs. And then that's 300 grams of fructose and honey. And now some days it's 400, but that's okay because that won't make you fat and that's not going to hurt you. Well, it may not hurt you, Paul, but don't you think that might be a little bit excessive? And my theory with this is it may not perf you know, perfectly resonate with him either, but he, if he doesn't always separate himself from the herd and make it to where like he has got this one thing and everybody should come to my house because I've got the best. My party's the best and these parties are lame and you don't want to go there anymore. 
I think he makes these adjustments because he's either ADHD and can't focus on any one thing for very long, or he thinks, okay, carnivore has gotten crazy popular. The, the waters are getting you know muddied a little bit. So I need to separate myself once again and market myself as having this new approach. And you see a lot of people out there in the carnivore space all gravitating towards just eating tons of fruit with reckless abandon. You know, and somebody even asked me, so uh, you said, you know, you hashtag this animal base. Does that mean you're eating meat, fruit, and honey? I'm like, I eat a lot of meat. I might have a handful of blueberries in my Greek yogurt, or I might pick a strawberry off my bush. Uh, I might use a little bit of raw honey 15 minutes before a really hard workout session, but it still only equates to a, a couple percentage points of my total caloric intake for the day. So no, I, I, I think people get misled with that. You know as well as I do that people gravitate towards a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet because they want to alleviate some form of metabolic distress. That's usually yeah. where people come from. They, right. It's true. And then they decide, oh, this also has helped me with my performance or, oh, this also has helped with this or whatever. But so people coming into this world trying to alleviate some sort of metabolic distress or inflammatory response and a carnivore diet is exceptional for that. A properly structured ketogenic diet is very good for that. Right. Now, all of a sudden, the guy that was telling them to eat this way and stave off these metabolic issues is now telling you to pound 400 grams of fructose down your throat, that could cause more problems to a lot of people than good. So everybody has to be very, very leery of what these gurus are constantly like pumping out. I mean, come on, let's face it. Do we all think that Liver King is 100% natural? Jesus Christ. <laughs> come on. Yeah, dude, he's, he's so foolish when he says he's natty. But, uh, you know, on top of that, it's funny when you hear people talk about, oh, well, you need to eat a candy bar or something like that because your blood sugar got low. That speaks <laughs> to, your, to your point, right? You just need a little bit of carbohydrate. And guess what? You'll spike your blood sugar and then you'll get that performance boost that you're looking for. Or if you consume some carbohydrates post-training, if you're completely depleted because you just beat the living shit out of yourself, then all that's going to be sucked up for glucose and you're not going to get this huge insulin spike. You'll you'll be good afterwards. But yeah. it's not like you're sitting here eating an entire pizza. You're eating yeah. some strategic carbohydrates. You're going to have an orange or something small to uh, just, once again, replenish glycogen stores. It's not the purpose of hedonic pleasure. It's for performance purposes. And that's kind of the way I've always looked at your diet. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I do. And that's that's precisely the way I look at it even now, even though those interventions of carbohydrate are more limited than they used to be when I was a competitive bodybuilder. Um, I still 100% believe that they can be beneficial for some people. I work with people that if they put 10 grams of carbs in their body, they completely fall apart. Those people exist. Whether Paul Saladino wants to believe it or not, they exist. And those people do better without the carbohydrate intervention. I have some people that can eat, take in 100 grams of rice and honey and an hour and a half later be in ketosis again. I mean, everybody's a little different. So yeah. what I'm doing now works best seemingly for me. And then I make little you know, adjustments or interruptions in that as needed based on how I feel and what my body's telling me to do. But I've been doing this shit you know, for 30 years I've been training and for... 20 of those, there's been a strong emphasis on how I fuel my body in order to maximize that training. So I know myself very, very well. And I know, I literally know if I'm in ketosis, I know if I've bumped out, I don't give a shit. 
but I can tell and I know and I know what path to travel to feel amazing from the time I wake up at 3.30 a.m. every day until the time I fall asleep at 8 p.m. every night and still be great in the gym, great with my clients, a great husband, a great father, a great grandfather, whatever the case may be, this is the path that I travel to be that human being. And if you want to come in and come onto my island of misfit toys and play in my reindeer games with me, I would love that sort of tribal spirit and we can you know, go lockstep arm in arm down this road and, and work together. Okay. If you try it and it's not for you, then go find what works for you. Be free. You know, don't, don't let me talk you out of it. I, I, I just hate that one size fits all zealotry that is out there in the industry and the space today. And if anything I can do to just be the antithesis of that, mm -hmm. then I feel like I'm doing my job. But like, like I said, I'm very carnivore-ish. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I go in and out of ketosis all day long. I probably never consume more than 5% of my intake from carbohydrate, but I'll be the last guy to ever tell you, no, you shouldn't have some, you know, rice and chicken before you train and do heavy legs today. So it, it's pretty simple, but also, as you know, the, the, the plan is not hard. Mm -hmm. It's implementing the plan. That's yeah. difficult for a lot of people because of the distractions in this world and the culture we live in. We've never lived in a lazier, fatter, weaker culture mm -hmm. than we do right now. Absolutely. So if you can, you know, if, if I can, you know, find that one, you know, a uh, cow that jumps the fence and leaves the herd and wants to, you know, join up with me and my little sub herd of crazy people that doing this shit that works well, yeah. then bring it and we'll let the rest of the herd go their way. We don't need them. Yeah. Well, I always liked and appreciated your non-dogmatic approach. And this is kind of where I started to fall out of love with some of the carnivore gurus because it became too dogmatic. Like you'll see these little shorts of Paul Saladina talking about how these vegetables are going to kill you. It's like, all right, well, at a certain point, you've got to realize if you have a handful of fucking Brussels sprouts, it's not going to kill you, dude. There may be some people that have a bad reaction to it. But like, what I tend to find is that when you take incredibly hard line rules and that kind of right? At least I know it's where as soon as I got a little bit of sugar, I'm fuck, let's go. You know, I'm already one mil off the plane, twice well absolutely everything is on the site. This dangerous for some people. Like you're saying, there are some people who your audio is kind of breaking up, dude. Oh this is man. Can you still hear me all right? Yeah, you you kind of you you were on this great rant and I was getting really excited. And then you <laughs> fell into the tin can, and then I lost the second half. <laughs> oh my god! What a shame! What a shame! Well, it, was, it looked like it was really good. I mean, you had this passion <laughs> on your face, trying yeah. to work up a little sweat. I'm like, whatever he's saying, it must be fucking awesome. Yeah, well, <laughs> my, my, my shorts were getting a little bit shorter as I was talking. Um, <laughs> um, but I just feel like some of the flexible dieting guys kind of lose sight of the fact that there are metabolically broken people who can't handle some stuff and maybe you need to take a little bit more time and attention for them sure, sure. um and the carnivore zealots should also kind of think okay well maybe not everybody's gonna be able to eat just meat salt and water for the rest of their life oh, and shit. i feel like you understand this perfectly because you and i the first time we were on you talked about hey they brought over a sweet potato and asked if we wanted some butter and brown sugar on it and I was like, well, yeah, of course. And I do the same fucking thing. Yeah. But when you tell people, hey, if you have that, you're going to be done. Like that just creates hard line rules for people where they're going to eventually break. And they're going to fucking binge rather than just saying, OK, well, hey, 
tonight it's my anniversary i'm gonna go have one piece of cake with my wife or whoever we're gonna enjoy it and then guess what tomorrow i'm gonna go do some high intensity interval training i'm gonna beat myself up a little bit but it's okay right this is a planned hedonic just we're gonna enjoy ourselves but don't let that get fucking carried away right and, and like saladino took that point and i think went off the deep end with it when he's talking yeah. about the, the hod the hadzu tribe or whatever or the, yeah. the hadza tribe you know, coming across a honeycomb, you know, mm -hmm. uh, bees and honey, and they're like eating it and they just devour this thing and taking however many hundreds of grams of, of glucose uh, from this, from this honeycomb. Well, yeah, but at the same time, they're not inundated with shit food at every turn and every screen that they watch and everything, every piece of literature they open and every checkout aisle is you know forcing candy and sweets and sugar and chips and soda and garbage on them so of course if they stumble onto one of these little sweet treasures they're going to enjoy that enjoy that then they're going to be on their way again looking to kill something and bring it back and to subsist on properly so that you know you i get that so in our culture because it's so available we just have to be able to reel that back a little bit and dial it in and understand that it should, I, I don't believe in planned cheat days necessarily, unless it is like you talked about. It's my anniversary this weekend. It's quality of life. Quality of life stuff. My daughter loves to bake and every once in a while she'll bake something just decadent and amazing. And, you know, I'll try a sliver of it. Is it going to kill me? Hell no. Now there are people out there that if they have that same sliver of cake are going to go off the damn deep end. They're going to go off into a, bit, a binge something in their wiring uh unfortunately just you know puts them in a bad place and they can't pull back from that and you know alcoholics never complain about the kind of liquor they're drinking as long as they're getting liquor right. it's not about a this or that it's about i can either tolerate this food stuffs or i can't and for some people who are just you know metabolically deranged yeah uh you know uh, one of those cheap meals might take them off the deep end and you might find them in an alley somewhere you know, peddling the rest of their wares in order to go get a fix at the Krispy Kreme. So we can't <laughs> allow that to happen. So the one thing I like about coaching people is, is they know that th there may be times where I need to talk them off the ledge. And I'm always happy to do that. I can't tell you how many times it's been even eight o'clock at, at night on a Saturday and I'll get some message. I'll, I'll read it first. And if it's no big deal, I'll, I'll wait till a little later if me and my wife are watching a, a movie or something. But there are times when I'll pause that movie and say, hey, you know, I I'm communicating with a client. I talk them off the ledge. I We walk through the reasons why they want to do this. And I remind them that this is probably not setting you up for something that's going to be good and you're going to regret this. And we had this talk and let's do this instead or let's go down this road. And that seems to work very, very well for people because most people in this, in our culture now, never have somebody to tell them what they need to hear. People are always telling everyone what they want to hear or they're just waiting for their turn to talk. There's no real substance in the conversation. So when you hire a coach, you need that coach to, with lots of love, tell you, hey, asshole, we've talked about this. Right. Don't eat that. Don't do this or don't do that. Or why are you skipping so many workouts or why are you not doing your cardio? And when they give me some bullshit reason, I'm going to say, so when you decided to hire me, you did that knowing that you know way more than me. So what the hell was the point? Well, if you don't <laughs> think you know way more than me, then let me give you some advice and let me help you walk through this path 
and tell you where you need to go in order to achieve success. You either trust a coach or you don't. And if you work with me for a week and uh, you don't trust what I say, then fire my ass and go find <laughs> one that you like. I will still be friends. I don't care. Um, and the thing that drives me the most, now I'm just getting off on this weird rant, but uh, clients will hire me. And one of the first things I say to them in conversation is, listen, I want you to bother me. I want you to message me. And I do my very best to get back to them fairly immediately. Sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's one minute. But the more you communicate with me, the better understanding I have of where your headspace is and the better I will be in tune to be able to, to help you pull, pull you out of these dark places that you might be into. And it makes the world of difference just having somebody that's listening that's going to shoot you straight. And that's what a good coach does. You know, yeah, you may have the workouts, you may have the macros, you may have the diet, but the real value in this is knowing that, well, shit, what do I do about this? This is what I'm thinking. What about that? What about this? Oh, let me text my coach. Boom, there's the answer. Okay, great. That's worth its weight in gold. And people need to understand that, that that's the relationship is, you know, having somebody that you trust that's going to tell you how it truly is and not just going to pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful you are all the time. Yeah, well, you know, I, this kind of gets to a larger meta conversation I want to have because I enjoy talking to ye old geezers like yourself about, <laughs> about some stuff that's kind of going on in the world right now. Um, one thing that was really, really good for me, I felt, but I didn't quite understand at the time. I started working in uh, Chevrolet dealerships about 10 years ago now. And I remember when I worked at a uh, small dealer, um, probably about 45 minutes away from where I live now, maybe a little bit less. Um, I was making minimum wage and I was changing oil and working on cars for the same you would make at fucking McDonald's. And I remember how hard those guys were on me. Oh, you're not paid to do, you're paid, or you're not paid to think, you're paid to do. Um, you do what I tell you when I tell you to do it. And they just whoop my ass relentlessly every day. But I kind of look back at that now, 10 years later and say, holy shit. Now I realize why that was necessary because I see some of the other kids I work with and they're undisciplined. They sit down, they pout. And then when you give them something to do, they don't want to do it. And I realized that they were just instilling the discipline that I needed at that time into me so that way I could go on and be successful. Um, I'm guessing you probably feel relatively similar to them that like, hey, sometimes you do need some a little bit of brotherly, fatherly love to kick you in the ass to tell you, hey, you're fucking up. You need to get back on track. 100%. I mean, we live in a, in a weak, lazy, entitled culture. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to sound like the old man that's telling kids to get off his lawn. But that's absolutely true. You know, these days, the old geezer that I am, as you so eloquently expressed, <laughs> you know, I'm somewhere between Sam Elliott in Roadhouse and uh, Clint Eastwood in uh, Gran Torino. I'm some sort of a hybrid between those two guys. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little set in my ways. But when you raise four children, uh, three of them into adulthood and, you know, you have a grandchild and you have people that work with you and work for you and, you see the culture shift over time to this lazy, weak, entitled culture. And uh, I, I think the best thing you can do for people is to give them a swift kick in the ass and uh, show them the error of their ways, not just give them a puppy and some crayons and a coloring book and a safe space to hide in. And because that would be the worst thing you could possibly do for someone, um, you know, alleviating student loans. Uh, that's just another way <laughs> to say, you know, you can just rely on big you know, big daddy government to be your baby daddy and provide for you. And you have to do nothing but sit there and in your own pompousness 
and uh, wait for everyone to rescue you. And I was always taught there's no one going to rescue you. You have to rescue yourself. You know, I grew up in the in the 80s, man. I'm a free range human. We drove, you know, we rode in the back of pickup trucks. You know, we rode our bikes without our helmets. We went face first down the slide. I mean, that, that we were hard. We were outside until it was dark. Then we would come home and be hosed off by our mothers, thrown in, gobble something shitty down and go to bed and do it the next day. And nobody was coming to help us. Nobody was coming to rescue us. So that we need to reinstill that mentality in, in our youth because it's it's dying. And uh, the, the culture, I don't know that I don't know that there is a solution to it other than just leading the way the best you can locally in your sphere of influence. So I try to do that. I mean, if I can help someone, I'm going to help them, period. But what I expect in return is uh, for them to learn. And uh, the old adage, you know, you can you can teach a man to fish or you can fish for him. And uh, I think teaching that and teaching that work ethic is, is the key. And when I work with clients, it's about there is no motivation. There's only dedication and discipline. You know, I don't want to hear that you're not motivated today. Well, fine, I'm not motivated today either. But I have a dedicated course of action that I am on. And there are times when the last thing I want to do is roll out of bed and work out at, you know, four in the morning or do this on a Saturday morning or record a podcast at 11 at night or work on this blog post or do whatever, I'm, you know, all these workouts and programming for my clients. But I do it because I made a commitment to helping others. And um, when you're in the role of helping other people, it's, it's about not only motivating them and pushing them to be the best that they can be, but it's also pointing out where there's a weakness and something that they need to have their asses kicked about. You know, we need to take more wooden spatulas and beat more little kids' asses and uh, to teach them that there is going to be consequences to actions out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you eat pizza every day, you're going to get diabetes and you're going to get fat. Nobody's going to come rescue you from that. So put down the pizza and back slowly away from it, chubby, and get your ass to fucking work. Something like that. Right. Yeah. And uh, it kind of highlights also the mentality that I think you and I both have when it kind of comes to training and some of the things that we do in our lives is that you burn the boats, right? As soon as you get on the island, you burn the boats because you know there's no turning back. You got to give it your absolute all in everything you do. And you have to be willing to say that, hey, even though I burn the boats, sometimes I still may fucking die on this hill right here because I gave it my all. And guess what? That sometimes still isn't good enough, but you still have to have that perspective of I'm going to keep going anyways, and I'm going to be so fucking relentless that no matter what, I'm going to get my result and what I want, no matter what. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, my grandson is never going to say Papa just sat back and didn't do anything, mm -hmm. you know, so that to me, that that's big. I'm always going to try to be do whatever I can to help anyone that needs a leg up but at the same time, I'm going to teach them that I'm not going to lift you up there. I'm going to show you how to climb up there and it may hurt and you may fall and you may get banged up and bruised, but you'll become way stronger as a result. And that's, that's what we, that's what I do anyway. I'm about, you know, beating the piss out of people to make them stronger, to, to grow back a better human being and to be able to accept whatever challenge they're faced with or that's set in their path. You know, it goes beyond just the physical. So much of this is mental. So much of this is life lessons we can learn. And since I am a grumpy old man that's been down this road many, many years and done so many things, you know, it's my responsibility to give those experiences to others that they may be able to carry that on and, and build a stronger generation that's ahead of us and get us away from these uh, 
these crazy, weak, entitled millennial types that think that uh, everybody's always going to throw the rope ladder down from the helicopter and cart them away to freaking, you know, rainbow and unicorn land. That's, that's just not the way the world works. And I, I think there's a little bit of a groundswell. I mean, if you're living through this current administration, I mean, I... I <laughs> I don't want to get too deep on that, but uh, I mean, we are, I mean, I get it. We're building back better. <laughs> anyway. Um, that was a good Joe Biden impression. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they, they redefined the word recession. Right. They redefined the word better, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but you, I think there's, if it did anything positive, if it's doing anything positive, it's waking some people up to where, you know, change begins here in my home and extends out into my community and extends out even beyond that. And I have to do whatever it takes mm -hmm. to keep pushing a positive message of uh, a forward. And it's not about relying on everybody else to take care of us. Right. And kind of like I was saying earlier, you do kind of have to burn the boats, but it's also you should always understand that, as you said earlier, nobody's come to save you and that you have to pull your own self up sometimes. And yeah, you're going to need help occasionally, maybe from some outside sources or something like that, as in your family, not the government. But you may need a hand up from people who you can depend on. But that's kind of what we need to get back to is having this culture of people who are willing to delay gratification so that way they could see a better tomorrow. And once again, that kind of highlights the point that we were talking about earlier where bodybuilding is kind of that delaying of gratification. Oh, sure. And yeah. I think that's definitely what we need to push forward. And I think hopefully, well, I know you, but and hopefully myself are uh, kind of two leaders in this realm that are kind of encouraging people to say, hey, don't eat that fucking donut today. But if you get shredded and you hit those, you know, those numbers that you want to see on the bar, then maybe one day when you're out, you could have the two fingers of whiskey and enjoy a piece of cheesecake with that person that you love, you know? Yeah, right. Damn right. Or whiskey now. No. <laughs> no, that later. Wait a minute. <laughs> what time is it? I don't know. But yeah, I, I get that. And that all yeah. makes sense to me. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, sometimes you feel like you're fighting a losing battle. But uh, and the fact remains, you know, I, I'll get this huge swell of new clients. And I know... I think I might have even mentioned this in the first time we spoke. Mm -hmm. I know if I get 10 clients, sadly, one might stick. Wow. One. Um, and that that's kind of being generous. Mm -hmm. It might be more accurate to say 10 out of 100. Um, and that's very sad. But I'm also not going to tell someone that it's always okay to skip your workouts, to not, you know, eat what you're supposed to eat, get the recovery you're supposed to get, do this, do that. It just, it's, it, it's really telling of where we're at now. When you can, if, if I told you, you could take $1 bill. And if you give me that dollar in one year, I'll give you a million back. You'd give me that dollar. Yeah, and yeah. you would be very patient over the next year, knowing that a year from now, you're going to get back a million dollars, that return on your investment. What drives me insane is when I tell somebody who needs to lose 50 pounds or 80 pounds or 100 pounds or they're terribly metabolically broken, I say to them, the good news is, is you can take 10 years of neglect and abuse and we can turn it all around and we can turn you into the best genetic version of yourself in a year. Mm -hmm. You'd be 
no, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be surprised. But others out there listening may be surprised to hear how many people are like, a year? Are you kidding me? I need to be like lean, fit, and amazing in 30 days. I've got a wedding to go to or a class reunion or this and that. And they get discouraged and pissed at me. And I'm like, I have to hold back from losing my freaking mind because I'm saying to them, listen, you can take 5, 10, 15, 20 years of neglect and doing things wrong. And we can turn the whole damn thing around in, in a year, maybe less, maybe a year and a half, whatever. Anybody who's not ecstatic with that answer, I, I don't understand the reality that they're living in. And it, it's very unfortunate that that's what we have to deal with, is people that don't want to hunker down for months at a time and put everything they have into something that's gonna make them the best version of themselves they've ever been. And until they reach a, a, a segment of that goal, they won't really understand it. So we, we've got to have a handful of successes as the months roll on to, to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit, let them see, a, I'm getting a taste of what this feels like. My energy is increasing. I'm dropping some weight. I'm sleeping better. I'm, I'm not such an asshole to my spouse or my significant other or my kids. And then you start to see these things occur and it just begins to snowball. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be any less work involved as you go down that road. So if you're not expecting to work your ass off, if you're, you know, some people think just by putting their credit card number in my website that they're going to magically lose 20 pounds. <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah. You know, just, just because you've got the app and you've got the program, you can't just sit there. It's not going to do itself. You know, nothing works until you do. So it's it's just it all goes back to, you know, like this. I don't know what to do about the culture we live in, but uh, that's why all I can do is help one person at a time and hope that it resonates to others within their space and then their friend's space and their other space. And social media, just like a gun, you can either protect yourself with it or you can kill somebody with it. Social media is the same thing. You can take something like you and I are doing today and somebody can click that share button and send it to a friend and send it to another friend and say, hey, check this out. Tell me what you think. And if what these guys are saying resonates with you, then there's another step you can take. And maybe we can do this together. And that's the only way we're going to push this thing forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you spoke about how people kind of want to lose the weight like that. It took you, you know, 5, 10, 15, sometimes even 20 years to put that, you know, 80, 50, 100 pounds on. Why do you expect it to come off in a month? Now, you can improve a lot in a month. But sure. why don't you look at this as like an investment, right? Where you're going to make an investment in yourself and in your health to better your body composition and better your life. And once again, if you spent 20 years beating the living shit out of yourself for the worse, then you should expect it to take a little bit of time to reverse that out. And right. um, this can also kind of be applied to the other end where people like myself who have dieted for too long and weren't, you know, as studious as they could have been with their nutrition, where you're just trying to get lean all the time. Hey, maybe you need to stop and maybe you need to eat a little bit more and be care or, you know, get a little bit fluffier, not sloppy, but, you know, put on a little bit of weight for a little bit to kind of repair yourself metabolically. So that way you're in a little bit more of a, a better position when you want to lean back down and maybe, um, you know, let's say put muscle on in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's a narrow path for sure. Uh, it's a very narrow path. And, and we're always learning. We're always discovering. Um, never in my 30 years of doing this today, sitting here this day, I'm convinced that so much, there's so much more involved in body fat reduction than just calories in calories out. 
to some, they will think that's blasphemy and I've lost my mind because there was a time where I thought that that was 99% of it, energy balance. Well, when you work with the population, the public, and even family and yourself day in and day out, and you dive into the literature and you sort of see where that literature and that's the, those studies are have gone askew or if, whether it's epidemiological, which is all horseshit, and you know, you start to see like corporate interests involved and you know, all the corruption that's within the scientific community and the nu nutritional science world. And then you start, you know, having conversations with other, you know, people with high academic accolades that are looking at this little differently and taking you down a different path. And now some of the stuff is starting to make sense. I mean, I've been around people that completely were in compliance and in a deficit and very, very little happened. And it was until we worked on some hormonal balance that things didn't start to go in the right direction. So um, there's so much that needs to be learned. There's so much that needs to be experimented with. Uh, and I'm not sure we're ever going to come to a complete concrete solution, but I do know that there is, there's a, there's a, derogatory role that excess carbohydrates play in the body and, I, and nothing will make me believe different mm -hmm. and when you just look at the simple fact that you know you and i could live the rest of our lives and thrive and never ingest one gram of carbohydrate ever again that is so telling right. i didn't say you can't or you shouldn't i just said that if you do never ingest another gram of carbohydrate you can still thrive uh, so that, I think that's very, very telling. And now with a lot of the research that's coming out about uh, thermodynamics and open loop thermodynamics and closed loop thermodynamics and how energy is actually transferred and the role that ketones play and, you know, is protein really equate to four calories per gram because of the rate that it burns and all these different things come into play. So it's, you know, I can work with a client and I can have them in a five, 700 caloric deficit and things just lock up and I can make some subtle changes with the division of macros and how we divide things up or maybe what we exclude or what we include and all of a sudden things start to happen again. And I see that most by using an animal-based diet that is primarily protein and fat. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And unfortunately, I think of all the sciences out there, the world of nutrition science is the most corrupt and the most misunderstood. Um, the great Arthur Jones many, many years ago said in relation to exercise and nutrition science, in his mind, a PhD in that realm just meant piled high and deep in bullshit. And I think there was a lot of truth to that. And because, you know, what we're being told on a regular basis by academia who is funded by God knows who that are looking to benefit from the outcome of these studies. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's just, once again, just making things even more confusing for people. So having the opportunity to work with people one-on-one -on -one and keep turning the knobs on these things and finding what works is very telling. And, and another example for this, I know this might be a little boring, but I work with competitive physique athletes, bodybuilders, and so on. Myself, I've told the story many times. I did two shows back to back. I won my class twice. I completely crushed my show, my national qualifier in 2021. 
And then a couple of weeks later, I went to nationals. Well, I stayed in that caloric deficit. I went even deeper into that caloric deficit. I got to the point where I was so restricted and so depleted of nutrients that my body literally shut down. So you're going to tell me that it's all about just a caloric deficit? Well, let me go ahead and tell you, I was a 215-pound, mostly muscle bodybuilder. And at 1,100 calories, day after day after day after day, I couldn't drop an ounce. My body said, no, you're not losing another pound. And in fact, there were a couple of days where I teetered up to 216 from 215 on 1,100 calories, meticulously tracked, only eating like things that it's either this plant or this protein, and that's it. And everything locked down. And then I was working with another guy recently who did two back-to-back competitions. And he got down to a very, very low body weight and body fat percentage, did phenomenal at his first show. Two weeks later, did a second show. He did phenomenal again, but his weight had actually come up, even though we had kept the macros exactly the same and even went into a deeper deficit on peak week. He, he hardly lost another pound. And I truly believe that this is through a hormonal sort of shutoff valve that your body says, okay, we're starving here. We're replete of nutrition. We're replete of calories. And we need to turn off the machinery and save this person's life so they don't completely fall apart. So you can't tell me that it's always just about energy balance and how many calories you put and how many calories you expel. I think there's so many more things involved in that. And I've been able to manipulate that a little bit better by using a more animal-based diet with my clients and myself to be able to turn those knobs a little better and sort of get, get a, a bird's eye view of what's actually happening physiologically with that person. I don't know if any of that made any sense. That <laughs> It's hard to put into words, but uh, there, there's so many things at play with these super complex, brilliant human bodies and everybody's a little different from everybody. It's like I listened to this uh, professor who I really admire, and you'd love him. He gets kicked off of everything. His name's Bart nice. K. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, his name's Bart K. And a lot of people think he's insane. He's just eccentric, and he tells it like it is. And uh, you know, he talks about that. There's only one study on humans regarding nutrition that would ever be accurate. And it will never happen. And he puts it so much better than I ever will. But he says, only if you took two identical twins and put one in this controlled environment and put the other in this controlled environment, each brother doesn't even know the other exists. And they're both in their own environments. And both of these environments are 100% controlled, 100%. Everything they touch, everything they eat, everything that they apply to their skin every bit of uh, visual stimulation, mental stimulation, hot, cold, you name it, it has been meticulously tracked for literally 20, 30, 40 years. Only then would you properly be able to assess outcomes related to those those individuals and apply it as a blanket to everyone out there in terms of nutrition intake, macros division, calories, and all these things. And when he said that to me, I was like, you know, that really makes sense. Because all these epidemiological studies, which are just sort of willy-nilly thrown out there and poorly executed, and then they come up with some, you know, paper that's published, and then you look to see that Nestle funded the damn thing, 
<laughs> and stands to benefit greatly, then you can just chuckle that shit out the window. So we have to take some of it in and really delve into where this the funding came from, what actually happened in the study. But if it's just epidemiological, which just means, you know, questions basically right. given to a field of people that you don't know really exactly if they tracked this properly, if they were honest about this, you'll never really know. I mean, you've seen the Truman Show. You've seen that movie. Um, basically, that's a study. That that's a true study on on what's going to happen to a human being. He's been put into a totally controlled environment right. that's artificial, and everything that he's gone through through his life, he's been you know given him to to produce a desired entertaining result for the people who are watching him grow up. So that's the only way we were ever going to be able to do this properly. So until that time, which is never going to happen. Um, <laughs> It would uh, it would behoove you to work with somebody who's going to meticulously look at what you're doing and take what you say for face value and keep making adjustments until the desired result comes out of that. And whether it's an extreme case like a competitive physique athlete or if it's just somebody who's trying to get off the pre-diabetes list and drop 25 pounds, you know, the plan may change to a degree. So we have to sift everybody down to this funnel. But once we get to the smallest piece of the funnel, that's when we really got to start breaking up the fine nuances of what they're doing and sort of establish some uh, some baselines to what their current situation is. And that's the only way you're going to get true results. Yeah, I think to your larger point there is uh, you kind of need to do your best to find what works for you and then adjust as necessary. So about over the last year, I've switched my diet more over to one gram of protein per pound of body weight and then 60% of calories from fat and then 40% from carbohydrates. But I'm beginning to think maybe it's time to kind of adjust these knobs again and get to something else because while I enjoy it and I like all the foods I eat, I'm thinking maybe it's just, I got this gut feeling like, all right, I need to make just some kind of change. And I'm thinking probably after the wedding, I, I've kind of debated this and I actually would like your opinion on it. And then maybe we'll kind of wrap on this since I got you here to pick your brain. Um, I don't know if maybe I should do a bulk next year, maybe not like the entire year, but kind of run just a concentrated bulk because I did, I've been just cutting for so long and then doing reverse, maybe like a little bit of a bulk for six months, maybe just dedicate a good year to bulking and then maybe get super shredded for 2024 or maybe just change up the diet and try to get to a decent body composition and then kind of sit there. So like I said, I'm not quite settled what I want to do. I know I'm pretty dialed in right now, but I'm thinking, like I said, after November when my wedding um, is all said and done, maybe try and figure out something to just kind of shift to and focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it kind of goes back to my other point. I'll tell people, oh, you want to gain mass. If that's the number one most important thing, then you need to be in a bit of a, a I used to say caloric surplus. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to refrain from that word because I, I think we may not be exactly sure how to qualify the term calorie anymore. Sure. So I prefer to just refer to it as energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to be in an energy surplus to a degree. It doesn't have to be great. And you also have to make sure your division of macros is on point. That's going to lend towards the addition and preservation of lean muscle mass. So if I was telling somebody that wanted to gain muscle, I'd say we need to experiment for a few weeks, meticulously track and look at what you're eating. And then, uh, if we start to see that you're in a slight 
energy surplus from that caloric intake and the, the wheels are turning, then we'll continue down that path and tweak as we go and then dial back that energy to a degree again once we get to the point where you're trying to get a little bit leaner. I'm doing something really bizarre for me because I've always lived that life. Now I'm like, how can I maintain 10% body fat, keep a good level of quality lean mass on my frame as long as I possibly can before the inevitable loss of muscle through sarcopenia, which is going to occur to every human being. I just, we just want to slow it down. You know, what does that look like for me? And that's what my experiment has been. And the way I've been eating for the last three, four months since I've officially retired seems to be working dramatically well for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's one of those things where even though you know what you're doing, you still surprise yourself mm -hmm. from time to time. Sure. And so, you know, I, I was the guy that was like, it was all protein because I'm competing and I got to be lean and I got to be pumped and big and muscular all the fucking time or I'm going to lose my mind. So now it's like, okay, my fat intake is like 60%, mm -hmm. maybe a little more. My protein intake is 35, 40%, which is a little bit of a flip flop for me. And then my carbohydrate intake is just, I go by feel here and there a little bit, you know, still only two to 6% of my total intake. Most of the time, my training, first thing we talked about, super intense, super heavy to failure through a little bit of metabolic work on occasion. My cardio is 30, 45 minutes of heavy rucking. There's no running. There's no gray zone cardio, none of that bullshit. And putting a severe emphasis on those X factor things like rest, sleep, recovery, sunlight, and all these things. And uh, it's really cool when you surprise yourself mm -hmm. after being a coach for 30 years as to what is still possible and how little tweaks can have such a massive benefit uh, to the individual. It's just a matter of finding out what's going to serve that individual the best. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah, man. All right. I didn't, well, answer, I didn't answer your question at all, but <laughs> I, you, you kind of, I think we got a good approximation of kind of what you were getting at there. And I really appreciate it. Um, Rob, do you got any closing thoughts? Oh, not at all. Is there anybody, was there anybody listening there, with questions or is, is it just still Chris? <laughs> yeah, we, we got a few in there. We had, uh, I told you, I said my seven would be stoked if we did hit seven, so <laughs> pretty good with that. but play more will listen after that. Uh, all right, Rob, uh, I got a couple questions to ask you, and then we'll uh, wrap her up. What does liberty look like to you? I am a freedom advocate, period. Freedom. The As long as you are not directly putting someone else, your brother or sister on this world, into immediate danger, then you should be able to, you should be free to do whatever it is you want to do. Um, I always use the examples of helmet laws and seatbelt laws. Um, I don't think I should be forced to wear a seatbelt, but I choose to do so. I shouldn't be forced to wear a helmet on my motorcycle, but I choose to do so. If you choose not to wear a helmet on your motorcycle and you go off a cliff and hit your head on a light pole and die, well, that's on you. Uh, that's just natural selection. Um, so it's about making smart choices and decisions regarding your own personal well-being, but you should have the freedom to do that. Nobody should ban shit. Nobody should take anything away from anybody. You live your life. You be you. It's about freedom. If you choose to be some super woke liberal whack job, as long as you're not getting into my space and affecting what my freedoms are, 
then we can be good friends. I love you. That's great. You carry on. You be you. You can be some super far right freaking uh, rhino Republican whack job. And that's fine as long as you're not implementing things that are going to be in direct uh, opposition to my personal freedoms. So I love the the freedom libertarian mindset. That's how I live my life. Unfortunately, there's really nobody out there uh, to take that agenda and carry it properly up the flagpole yet. But uh, maybe we can push towards that. Yeah, well, I'm definitely hoping that you and I can help foster the culture that brings about those kind of people. Um, what does yeah, what does health look like to you? The ability to handle, conquer, and overcome anything that comes into your direct path. And uh, the pursuit of feeling amazing regardless of age. I, 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 think, I think we, the human being, is hardwired genetically to live to be between 120 and 150 years old. I truly believe that. And I think there is actually some co compelling research that supports that. But it's just a matter of how many times we get in our own way to peel back those numbers. Now, I'm not talking about getting hit by a truck, but I'm talking about a, you know, dying of natural causes, whatever that means. It's about being able to sustain as long a life as you can, always being able to do the things that you want to do without hesitation. And as unique as that's becoming in our world, that is what I am pushing for every single day. I will always, I will be the 70 year old guy that's at the park playing with kids going face first down the slide. I will be running around with my grandson and great grandchildren. Uh, no, nothing's going to keep me out of the gym. Nothing's going to keep me from mowing the fucking lawn. Nothing's going to keep me from carrying bags of chicken food from the truck back to the coop. You know, that, that's what health is to me. The ability to take on any endeavor that comes in your path and, and just take it down and being a badass. Hell yeah. You know, that's probably one of my favorite answers I got. I'm, I'm so blessed to have this podcast because I get to talk to uh, <laughs> wonderful minds like yourself, dude. Um, where can everybody find you? Robgoodwin.com is the website. And I think every possible way you could ever find me on social media, on the web and so forth is on that website. There's links to everything. And uh, I'm actually starting a new blog. And the blog is called Hyper Primal. And uh, it is its own website, but there will be a link off of my other website to that. It's hyperprimal.com. And that is literally a blog, an old school freaking blog. You remember those? Remember those days when people had blogs, like they typed their thoughts and shit and people could read them and say, oh, that's what he does. Well, um, I'm doing that now. So I'm going to start adding pretty much everything I do. I'm going to make a blog post about it <laughs> and uh, so people can follow along. So here's me putting on my socks, you know, whatever. But uh, uh, it, it's going to be interesting because social media is so short and compacted these days and nobody gives it any real detail. It's like, look at the picture, read the 140 characters and move on. So mm -hmm. I want it to be able to throw more out there into the space about what I'm truly doing on a regular basis. And if any of that horse shit sounds like it's even remotely intriguing, then you can kind of follow along. So that's something else I'm working on. But uh, robgoodwin.com is where you can get me on everything. And uh, I would love to have people on board with the new tier one coaching and nutrition program. It is exploding. People seem to really, really like it. 
and uh, it's probably the most exciting thing I've done in many, many years. Uh, hell yeah. All right, man. All that stuff will be in the show notes. Um, everybody that is watching right now, I'm thinking, and I think Rob would be down for it again. Maybe we might do another Rob's of the Apocalypse on In Liberty and Health. I know yeah. I had a good time with the last one, and it was uh, you know, awesome enough that YouTube overlords decided to take it down. Um, if you're here, you're watching this right now, comment and send me messages, send Rob messages, whatever, and we'll see if we can make that happen again. Rob, yeah, I mean, this is a cool track record. I've been kicked off of Facebook, <laughs> finally made my way back. I've been kicked off of Twitter. Like if you go to my Twitter and you see that I've only got 160 followers, that's because I had to come back after being banned from Twitter because I think I called somebody fat. And um, I, I've had a YouTube video with a ancestral health legend yanked off. So I am in really good company. I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm trying to see what boundaries I can push next. We've got to do another one and we should do some sort of a bet maybe for a good bottle of bourbon or scotch as to how many days it takes to get that thing yanked off YouTube. Well, yeah, that was about, if I remember correctly, about 180 days, which is a complete total shocker to me because I that's even provided a link to the study. Yeah, that's a good run. Let's see yeah. if we can get that under 30 days. All right. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have to try to set that up. So, uh, <laughs> Rob, as always, it's good to talk to you, brother. And I uh, hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, make sure you check out Element um, either through Rob or through me. We both got affiliates through them. And uh, until next time, everybody, take care. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.